Hey guys, hope all is well. Welcome back to the program. Of course, I am your host, Dylan Bowman. So happy to have you here for another awesome episode. Today, we've got a great conversation with another interesting person and awesome athlete. Today, my guest is Ryan Montgomery. Ryan is an ultra runner living in Park City, Utah. He is only 27 years old. But at this point, I think he could be considered a a seasoned, grizzled veteran of the sport, having started at a very young age, fresh out of college. But at this point, he has amassed many incredibly solid performances across all different distances and terrains. He is a super versatile and consistent athlete. And like many of our recent guests, I feel like Ryan has a ton of potential as he continues to develop in his career. Ryan's most recent accomplishment was a very strong second place performance at the Havilene 100 in Arizona just a few weeks ago, where he was successful in punching his golden ticket to the legendary Western States 100, where he will be competing for the first time next June 2022. Here he comes, Ryan Montgomery to Western States. Can't wait to see it. We talk, of course, all about the race at Havelina. We talk about Ryan's goals for Western States and for the longer term future. But we also spend a bunch of our time in today's episode talking about Ryan's personal life and the causes that are important for him, things that he's doing, a lot of work to advocate for in our our community and beyond. As you'll hear, Ryan identifies as a gay queer runner, and we talk a lot about what that actually means practically how it's influenced the person that he is and what our sport can do to be more inclusive and welcoming to the LGBTQ community and other underrepresented groups. This was an awesome and deep conversation. It was really fun to record. Ryan and I had never met before sitting down for this conversation. So it was really great to get to know him. And I have to say, I really admire him for how open and honest he was in describing his very unique life often in pretty personal ways. Finally, I've got a special addition to this week's episode. We have the much anticipated return of Deb's Poetry Corner, where my mother-in-law, Deborah Buchanan, reads one of her poems to get us in a deep contemplative mood before the podcast conversation. Longtime listeners will remember this. We've done it a few times in the past, but it has been a while. So it is my pleasure to bring it back with a poem entitled, I Wish I Had a Tale. I hope you all enjoy this poem, followed immediately by my conversation with Ryan Montgomery. See you in the outro. I wish I had a tale. Words can say one truth, but the tale tells something else. This almost secret's left unsaid. Tales touch, joined as a pack, together but not held. Needing freedom, the tale can't be stayed. It's language like dots and dashes, a code before Morse. The underbeat that keeps the story going, laying down its rhythm. The tale, long or short, fluffy, scraggly or smooth, 
the heart's most visible line as the story goes up and down, gesturing for emphasis. Always expressive, wordlessly revealing. Well, as you can see, I wish I had a tail, and this uh, poem is dedicated to some trail running dogs I'm very fond of. <laughs> Montgomery, welcome to the podcast. How are you, buddy? Thanks. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here and to finally meet you, even though not in person. <laughs> yes. But no, it's funny because like most people, probably nearly 100 percent of the people who have been on the show, like I've met personally uh -huh. or or at yeah. least digitally before we get on a recorded conversation. But this is literally our first time ever interacting. Yeah, literally the first time that we're talking. <laughs> So I'm really excited though, man. And I appreciate you coming on the show and we have so much ground to cover, but it's funny because I recently put up like just a Instagram story prompt, basically crowdsourcing, uh, sort of podcast guests, you know, recommendations uh -huh. of guests that people wanted to have on the show. This was actually shortly after Havelina that I put it up on my Instagram story. And of course I'm inundated with like, Killian Journey and Francois Dane and people like that. But honestly, dude, you were one of the first or one of the number one sort of names that was requested. It could have been because of the timing with Havelina, but yeah, I think with uh -huh. it, it also has a lot to do with, uh, with your position in, in the sport and your story. So I'm so happy to have you here. And I think we have a, a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, the, the best place to start, especially because we don't know each other really well personally, and <laughs> as I just told you sort of before we started recording, that I really like to sort of get a full 360 understanding of my guests on a human level. And mm -hmm. so that always sort of or oftentimes includes general background stuff. So let's let's start from the beginning. Where, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Uh, what was your childhood like? And what was your relationship with sport as a kid? I'm good. Yeah. And I guess, number one, thanks for having me. I'm, I always love opportunities to just talk about the sport and obviously um, people have a platform like yourself and what you're creating too, which is really awesome. Um, but yeah, my <laughs> childhood is so um, interesting uh, when I like reflect back on like where I was and where I've gone and where I am today and how that's shaped me to like who I am. But I guess like cliff note version is, you know, I grew up in, I grew up very religious. I grew up uh, Mormon. So, you know, you can have whatever thoughts you have related to that. Like that was who I am and how I grew up. And I grew up outside of Seattle in a suburb. Um, my parents divorced when I was like pretty young. And that ultimately led me to a lot of different places where I lived. And after my mom remarried after elementary school, I lived in Alaska of all places. Um, it's, it's a town that most people probably have never heard of. It's called Craig, Alaska population, 1100 people. It's an <laughs> Island in the middle of nowhere, West of Ketchikan. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that was really where I actually started running of all places. And when I moved there, my teachers, cause here I am like suburbia, Seattleite coming to Alaska and my, my middle school teacher said, Ryan, you should do every sport you can because there's nothing else to do in the wintertime. 
<laughs> yeah. And wasn't that a true statement? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I did all the sports and in particular cross country. And that's where I, I mean, I wasn't like particularly amazing, but you know, I would get like top five at like little tiny cross country meets on our Island. And then I went to high school in Oregon. Uh, it's a town called Pendleton. It's the biggest Dude, rodeo. Really? So Do you, you know, know where Pendleton I, is? Well, I live in Portland. Oh, so oh, duh, yeah. 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 So, but I mean, I've only driven through Pendleton, just like okay, yeah. route from, you know, usually Colorado or Utah or Idaho, whatever, but it's on the I-84 corridor. Yeah, yeah. But whenever, yeah, if you blink, you, you go past Pendleton so fast. <laughs> but what an awesome town. I mean, I don't yeah. know. I've never lived there, but you know how it is when you're coming down the highway sort of uh, into going into, to the bowl of Pendleton. Oh, it's like yeah. the most beautiful vista. And it yeah. seems like a relatively vibrant uh, rural town. And of course, Pendleton, the clothing brand started there, mm -hmm. the, the, yeah. wool, the wool uh, clothing brand. And I love that stuff. That's uh, high, <laughs> high quality Oregonian yeah. apparel. So yeah, if you, anyway. if you don't live in Pendleton and don't have a Pendleton Woolen Mills blanket, then you're not a Pendletonian. Dude, crazy. So pick up there. Yeah. So, uh, went to high school there. Um, as you mentioned, it's a rural town in Eastern Oregon and it's famous for the wool mills and it's also famous for the rodeo there. So I <laughs> Celine shotted from great frontier Alaskan to rodeo cowboy world and Pendleton. Um, so I just, I feel like I've seen so much like in my young childhood. <laughs> what a life. What a yeah. life. And then and ultimately then ended up in Utah for college. And you went to BYU, is that right? I did, yeah. Cool, cool. Did you run there? Like, were you uh, on the collegiate track cross-country path? Or? Um, I I wanted to. Like, that was, you know, every high school, varsity high school um, cross-country runner's dream is like, oh, I can run D1, but I was never really that fast as a 5K runner. I mean, mm -hmm. I got into, like, the low 16s, which is, you know, solid, but not enough to be a D1 runner. Sure, so is that sort of like, I mean, you were obviously a runner growing up and you got into trail and ultra running at a very young yeah. age. In fact, this is something that you and I have in common in mm -hmm. that we, we started at a very young age. I, I think I ran my first ultra when I was 22 or 23. I yeah, think that's you're about sort, of, time as me. sort of in the same boat. So mm -hmm. were you running throughout college? And I guess just generally, how did you get introduced to our wonderful sport? Yeah. So, I mean, I, to, to answer that question, we have to go back to high school, actually. Um, I, I've always been super aggressive and type A and like just finding opportunities to like drive my growth academically, professionally, whatever. So um, I actually was introduced to this nonprofit called Impossible too possible. I don't know if you've heard of this. Ray Zahab. Yes. Ray Dude, so Zahab. I, I yes. just recently got connected with Ray. I've known who he is my whole career, mm -hmm. but we just finally connected and had a phone call. In fact, I want to have him on the podcast at some time. Oh, he would be great. In the future. Oh, what a fantastic guy he is. I mean, he's yeah. like so energetic. He actually sent me like a few pounds of his coffee that he brews up there. And <laughs> yeah, I family. have them in my house too. <laughs> Dude, it's such good coffee because I'm totally like a dark roast guy. I, I yeah. have no patience or tolerance for this like new wave light roast coffee. And so when Ray sent me this like Canadian dark roast, like perfect for the Oregonian winter, just mm -hmm. brew it up, brew it up nice and strong. Yeah, anyway, but like what a character, right? He's what a so... great guy. <laughs> charismatic and so loving. Like I won't hear from him for months and then he'll be like, 
Ryan, you're amazing. Like we need to connect. And he's just so charismatic. But ultimately like why raise Ahab is part of this story is because I was a youth ambassador on one of his expeditions in 2011 when I was 16 mm-hmm. years old. So he took me and other youth to Bolivia, Altiplano, elevation 12,000, 13,000. And we ran a marathon, about a marathon a day for like five days. Really? Yeah. When you were 16 years old in Bolivia. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that, and that was my first time out of country, first time really like doing anything of that distance, obviously. Mm. And that experience, because part of the the people behind this organization are all ultra runners. Ray Zahab ran across the, across the Sahara. Ferg Hawk, like well-known name at Badwater, 135. Yeah. So I got to run with these people and hear these crazy stories about all these races. And I'm like, what is this world? And, you know, after I did this expedition, I learned so much about my body and how it's capable of doing crazy freaking things. And so, you know, that was ultimately like my point where I wanted to do ultra running later in my life, mm. later in life, early twenties. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So the, the bug was planted in your brain at yeah. 16 and then sometime mm-hmm. around 22 or 23, you finally took steps to, uh, to act on that early inspiration. What a crazy thing, man. I got, I can't wait to send this, uh, this conversation over to Ray when we publish it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm curious about something you just said, you said that you've like always been super type a when it comes to mm-hmm. academics and professionally and competitively athletically, where do you think that mm-hmm. comes from in you? Is that a, uh, what nature thing or a nurture thing? Um, I would say neither actually, I think it's more of a, a manifestation of me trying to validate myself in an environment that doesn't like see me, you know? Mm. And this is, I think going into, you know, for people that don't know me, I identify as a gay queer runner and growing up in a, an environment that invalidates that identity, puts it lower on the like reality of existence and doesn't acknowledge it, views it as like a, a condition rather than an identity that really is like part of who you are. Um, I, I mean, as I look back at my childhood, it's why I was such like a chaser for scholarships and wanting to do so well in athletics is like, that was my validation, you know? Wow. Wow. And, and I think when I was starting to do these crazy runs, like running the marathon in high school or doing this expedition, it was giving me these experiences that allowed me to, to learn about myself that I never had before. Um, It put me in like that situation where I could process like, who am I? Like, what do I want to do? Like, this is who I am. And, and so it's been like a integral part. Like my running has been to bridge that, like finding who I am and identity, you know? Wow. So it's sort of like maybe a little bit of a insecurity or self-consciousness about how you were different from your mm-hmm. peers at the time that drove you to excel beyond. Uh, yeah. Like I had to differentiate myself to like validate who Ryan is. You know? uh-huh. Wow. So cool, man. And, and yeah, I think, you know, I've never obviously like had these explicit conversations about like, or, you know, explicitly talking about guests, sexual orientation on the show, but I think Mm -hmm. it's obviously something you're very open about and something that Mm -hmm. I think you can have a, a powerful voice about as an advocate and as a representative throughout your career. But yeah, I'm really curious about this, like growing up 
as a gay kid, seems like you bounced around living in Alaska and Washington and, and Oregon. When did you sort of have this realization about yourself and, and how did it sort of impact your relationship with yourself as a kid? Um, that's a really good question. I feel like I've always known who I like am in my desires, but you know, when you live in a place or when you're in a culture that is not supportive of that and, and really, you know, attacks it, I like never really got to explore what that was. And so what I call is, um, when I talk to people and describe it, it's really like being a chameleon in a world that, um, looks different or feels different than you. I feel like my whole life I was being a chameleon where I try to be more masculine, like with my, with my guys on the cross country team, or I try to be, you know, more straight passing other ways. Like there's ways of like how queer people chameleon throughout their life to feel like they're included and, you know, growing to then BYU, which is like the epitome. Dude, I was going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I went to BYU ultimately because like, I still didn't know like who I was and I was exploring that. I'm like, oh yeah, you go to BYU, you're Mormon. And it, it's really cost-effective and I got a scholarship. So yeah, of course I went, but it wasn't until I was in BYU was I like truly wanting to experiment and learn and date and mm -hmm. see what I wanted and was interested in, right? And it's unfortunate that like when I was at BYU that, um, that I was in that situation and then realized that this is who I am and how I want to pursue. But, you know, if I if I was authentic to my friends at BYU, like I could be expelled, you know? So it was like this oh, really so weird- Oh, you, so you weren't open at this no, point? Wow. No, Were yeah, you I having like, like still some internal conflict about coming to terms with who you were at this point? Like, was there any part of you who was trying to reject what was, what in your heart you knew was true? No, I think at that point I was like full on, like, this is what I want to do, but- at the same time, I was thinking to myself, if I, if I go full in on like publicly of like what I'm doing and who I am, then it sets me back in my education. I'm going to have to take out a loan because I'm going to have to go to a different university that costs thousands of dollars. It, I just felt like so much was at risk. And I'm, and in my head, I was like, you know, I can fake it till I make it. I can be two-faced. I can live a double standard life until I graduate. <laughs> Wow. I mean, that's a powerful thing, man. And like also a really unfortunate situation to be in, especially yeah. as a, as a, as a young man growing up. And yeah, we're all at that point in our lives trying to figure out who we are and the path that we mm -hmm. want to be on and to feel like you have to hide this fundamental piece of yourself in order to continue to gain the education yeah. that you need to be successful, especially as a type A person who's chasing success <laughs> relentlessly. That must have been a pretty intense part of your life and probably shaped the person that you are now. Yeah. I mean, it's shitty for sure, but my story's not unique. Like it yeah, happens all the time, but actually this really is where trail running, ultra running is ties into this story <laughs> because when I was at BYU, Wasatch Front, Trails in Your Backyard, that's where I started trail running and I met this amazing community that like did not care who I was. They just, mm. I mean, they cared about who I was, but they didn't care that I was gay. They're like, we love you. Like come out on the trails. And so this is like what started the journey of, whoa, this community like loves me. The outdoors 
are for me. I can be myself on the trails. Beautiful, man. That's so awesome. So like as an athlete though, and especially you said you were a runner growing up in Alaska and then Mm -hmm. in Pendleton, obviously that's kind of a, usually kind of a hyper-masculine environment. At least it was for me as an athlete growing up. Was there anything that on that front, when you're reconciling who you were and also being an athlete in this hyper-masculine environment, was there any sort of uh, friction between those two identities too? Um, yeah. I mean, so I think this goes out, this also ties into like who I am today. Like I'm queer. And for those that don't know, like what queer means or the definition of it, it really is a, a umbrella term that's anything other than like cisgender and other than heterosexual. So it really is a good blanket term to express or embody like the fluidity of how people want to express themselves Mm -hmm. because, you know, I'm gay and I'm identify like my pronouns, he, him, but I also like want to express myself in a feminine way. Like sometimes I like a javelina. We're going to, I'm sure we're going to talk about javelina. Like I wanted to wear a crop top and I, had pink sparkly nails and I have my nails painted today. Like there's ways that I want to had the embody. rainbow shorts on too. Those yeah. Things, and I had my rainbow shorts fire. on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's just, I want to express myself more than just the traditional masculine way. And I felt like growing up, if I had done that, like I wouldn't have friends. Like there's no way in Pendleton. Yeah. Um, there was like maybe one gay queer person in my high school and you know, he was ostracized, like, Mm. unfortunately. Um, So yeah, I mean, when you're in places that are hyper masculine, or don't allow like the fluidity of expression, you really limit people to be in those environments. So I'm I'm sure we can talk about like that in in the outdoors, but just in like your day to day life, like you prohibit people from like not being authentically showing up as themselves, which is never a good thing. Yeah. So powerful, man. So just to kind of bring things full circle, was there a moment when you really decided to embrace who you were? Like, was there a liberating moment of freedom of like, no, this is who I am. I'm going to embrace it hundred percent. And if so, talk about it. Um, I laughed because it's uh, when I, when I graduated BYU, I was dating someone at the time and like, that's another story, but um, I accepted a job. Um, I went into management consulting right out of university and I moved to San Francisco in 2018 when I graduated school. Again, the and type A personality goes yeah, straight to yeah, management type a, consulting like, yeah, go to San management Francisco. Check that box, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But why I laugh is because like really what, like when I, I felt like I was taking control of like what I wanted to do and the experiences and environment I wanted to be in as a gay man by moving from Provo, Utah to Castro district, Castro. San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yep. like the complete 180. <laughs> yeah. So I think that was like the moment where I'm like, here I am, San Francisco. I'm going to yeah. do me, you know, was there any, not to make it too personal, but was there any like backlash that you faced from your religious community, your family? And, you know, if so, whatever you're comfortable talking about on that front, were there some uncomfortable moments, even though it was a moment of, you know, pure freedom for you? Um, yeah, I mean, 
throughout BYU, uh, even though I wasn't open to my family and my extended family about what I was doing, who I was dating, um, there, I think some, some people of my family knew what was up. They knew that I like, wasn't going to church, for example, and perhaps like not abiding by like the rules of the university, for example. And yeah, there, there were sentiments that I heard through directly or through the pipeline that why is Ryan going to BYU? He's on scholarship. That scholarship should be going to someone who wants to abide by the rules Uh or, you know, Ryan, don't you, um, you know, like it's a, it's like, I'm, I'm so sad that like, you feel that way, but like, I love you. Like I'm here for you. Like that, like total, like gaslighting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So a lot of those sentiments like really like impacted me and then put me farther down into my shell because I didn't think, obviously it's not a safe space. Like I don't want to share anymore because Mm -hmm. you know, who knows what's going to happen. Wow, man. Well, you know, just speaking as somebody who has never dealt with that type of adversity or that type of just like internal turmoil, which I'm sure was just like a chronic feeling of stress for a lot of your life. I have to say, you know, that I have a lot of respect and admiration for Thanks. You know, the yeah. path that you're on and the fact that you are so open about it. And I, again, I think your voice can be extremely powerful on this. And I think, you know, we'll move on to sort of like running now, but this is a, an important topic that'll, I'm sure sort of like weave itself into mm-hmm. the rest of our conversation, but what a really awesome way to start. And I appreciate you being so honest. So talk a little bit about, you know, like how you ultimately sort of fell head first into, into trail and ultra running, because you and I, like I said, I feel like, uh, our kindred spirits and that maybe we're feeling a little bit, uh, lost in our early twenties, still wanting to be somewhat <laughs> active and competitive yeah. and connect with the community. And, uh, you know, why don't we run a hundred mile races? Uh, yeah. so talk, talk about how you fell into it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, going back to, you know, going that, doing that expedition in Bolivia, I knew that like, I wanted that experience in ultra running. I knew I got a taste of it in that expedition um, so yeah, fast forward to, you know, living in Utah and I started trail running. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I feel like I'm having these amazing experiences where I'm learning about myself, my body I'm processing things that I never could before meeting people that are amazing. Um, and ultimately I just wanted to like jump right in. I'm like, you know, let's sign up for a 50 miler. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and so my first ultra marathon was the antelope, um, antelope Canyon 50 miler that happens in page, Arizona. This was February, 2016. And I had no idea what I was doing. I, I literally like just jumped in and just decided to like run it. I ran it as if I was running a marathon, which was a huge mistake. I think it's a, that's like the classic mistake um, people make when they enter ultra running, but it was such a positive experience where I, I think I got third place and I realized like, wow, like I, I didn't die. Like, this is amazing. I met so many people like what is next? Like what other experiences can I have that like would teach me more about myself and this community that is like so strange, but also at the same time, so awesome. Mm-hmm. So I jumped right in Dylan, just like you did where, um, I was very inspired by Badwater. That was like my goal as a new ultra runner. I'm like, I'm going to run Badwater 
I'm going to do this. So um, I decided to check off like, you know, part of the requirements of running Badwater is that you have to have around 300 milers to even uh, put in an application. So I ran Wasatch 100. I flew to Alabama, did Pinhoti 100. I did the Coldwater Rumble in Arizona and the Susitna 100 in Alaska. So I did all these hundred milers and gained so much experience um, like right away. And I wasn't good. <laughs> I was running in like the middle of the pack. Um, but it, it just like became like such a experience of just like learning about myself. And I like just wanted to go deeper and deeper. Wow. What a cool story. I didn't realize that you had done Susitna. Isn't that, that's like a winter hundred mile race in Alaska, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, this is actually something I wanted to talk to you about. I mean, you said that you weren't necessarily good, but mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at your results, like you have been really strong and consistent, you know, maybe not in those mm -hmm. first like year, year and a half or whatever, but like mm -hmm. over the last few years, man, you've been doing really well and you're very versatile. You know, you run hundreds, you, you've done well at the Tahoe 200, you do mm -hmm. flatter, faster races. Well, like Havelina, you also can run in the mountains. I'm mm -hmm. curious what you sort of attribute to your consistency and your versatility. It's, you know, it's my approach to trail running is like celebration of all of like nature has to offer. Um, and I realized that that year in 2018, when I ran Susitna, run a hundred miles in Alaska in winter time, like crazy experience. And that same summer I ran Badwater, the complete opposite where you run through <laughs> 120 degree weather for 135 miles. And I just developed such an appreciation for, you know, everything that the outdoors has to offer and the unique experiences they provide me to learn about the climate, the, the place in the world, but also like about myself. Um, I think there's, there's value in having that diversity of experience because it makes you so much more of an agile athlete. Like now I know how to like show up in the mountains and I have a strategy of like how to approach that when I run UTMB someday. But I also know how to execute on the flats where at Havelina or at desert solstice, like I know what to expect. So it really is developing context in all of these situations that I think make you just overall a holistic, better athlete prepared for anything, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, very well said. And yeah, I think it, it probably on a practical level, maybe you can share some details about this, but like in training, for example, mm -hmm. or even like mindset and psychology, as you go into these different races, like, is there anything there that you think is worth mentioning as it relates to your early success and your consistency, just like practical yeah. details? Yeah. I think something I tell a lot of my athletes, cause I also do some coaching on the side is, you know, approach your first ultra marathons of just gather as much information and experience as possible. Um, like, I'm so grateful that my first hundred at the Wasatch 100, when I was like literally crying at 2 a.m. on some single track trail on the side of the mountain, when I thought I was going to fall asleep, I'm so grateful for that experience because I now know how to approach that when it happens again. I, I have so much more experience in my back pocket 
which makes you like such a stronger athlete so that, you know, when shit hits the fan, you like know how to respond rather than to panic. So I think just approaching our sport by being, being open to learning, be curious to about all of these experiences. Like you can't just like show up at UTMB and say, I'm going to crush this, like lead by, you know, by curiosity and learning because there's so much to master, you know? It's so well said again, man. And I so appreciate you delivering that message so well. And it's something that I harp on a lot too, as I talk to athletes of your generation sort of coming up mm-hmm. now. And it was advice that was instilled in me early in my career is just how important it is to just gain experience yes. racing and doing it, you know? Yeah, Don't be, yeah, just gain experience and learn, 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 learn. And then eventually, you know, once you have a lot of that experience and those learnings, the improvement and stuff just comes naturally. Right. So it, it really is all about just doing the damn thing and then you figure mm-hmm. it out. Right. So, uh-huh. so, yeah. so cool. So at this point in your career, again, like you've been really successful, but you're really coming into your own and you're still just super young. How do you, how do you see yourself within the sport right now? What do you think are your biggest strengths and weaknesses? And, uh, yeah, just like generally, how are you feeling about, yeah, your position in the sport at this point? Well, you're, you're, you're 27 years old. 27. Yeah. Yeah. I feel very confident. I feel like I'm at the spot where I want to be as I mature and grow and really like make this a lifestyle for my whole life. Um, I have some thoughts on this <laughs> because as you can see from my like ultra sign up, like I've done a lot of races and I've had a lot of experiences and I've realized in my racing so far that I want to do this for a long time. And I think my context that I have now allows me to approach my sport rather than like, let's see like how fast I go. And like, let's see if I can survive. I'm like in this for the long run and I'm on like the the gradient slope of improvement over time to like, ultimately like I can be the best of the best in years, but I don't, I don't want to like jump to it because, you know, I, I haven't mastered it yet. There's still so much I need to learn. And I feel like I'm on that perfect slope of like getting better and better and better every year. And ultimately, you know, this year I punched the golden ticket of Javelina and I feel like the past two years, it's like all coming together in this positive, like snowballing effect. Um, and I think the opposite is what I observe with some of our newer generation ultra runners, where I think there's a, there's a, um, lack of patience perhaps, mm-hmm. or, yeah. you know, I'm just going to jump in. I got a golden ticket and, you know, you come to Western States and think that you've mastered the hundred mile distance, but you know, a lot of them blow up because there's so much that you need to know and know how to problem solve in the moment that they don't, they don't have the experience. And I think sometimes reshifting your, um, what do you call it? Your approach to running and like why you're running really is like more sustainable rather than, you know, I'm going to win, you know, and I don't, I don't think that's always sustainable. You know? Yeah. It goes back to the, the last answer of just like, yeah, being, Focusing on the experiences and the and the process of it, and yeah, ultimately, and it naturally happens. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, it takes care of itself. So you mentioned that you're a coach, and as we talk about your training, it makes me wonder if you have a coach of your own, or if it's something 
that uh, you sort of guide yourself on this journey? Yeah, I really attribute the pivotal point in my performance to my coach back mm. in 2019. Um, Anna Mae Flynn is my coach. She's a, you know, no a way. okay. Yeah. So, and you guys have a coaching business together yep. now. So you, mm-hmm. okay. So this, yeah, this we're all business makes partners, sense. but also she coaches me. So. so, okay. So tell this story because this is going to be awesome. So you get connected with Anna Mae Flynn and, and talk about what difference that made as she sort of influenced your careers, your coach. Um, well, you can imagine being a 20, I don't know how old I was at the time, 24, 25 in San Francisco, trying to pursue this career management consulting. Like my training was very (laughs) half-assed. It was like, oh, I have a a one hour window. Like maybe I can get in eight miles. Um, (laughs) so she really was integral in my training because she helped me realize how much, you know, just putting in time and just putting in structure and a buildup to training is really how you can sustain yourself in this sport and also to perform. And then, so I'm so grateful for her to give me that kind of like, you know, Ryan, you can't just go run 50 Ks every weekend. If you want, like, let's dial it back. Let's be focused and be methodical how we're going to train. And so you know, I hired her and it was great. And, you know, that year and the next year were like such great, like performance years for me at Tahoe and then desert solstice. And, you know, I was inspired by you doing, uh, the wonderland FKT right, last year yes, that yes. I was like, you know, maybe I can't go as fast as Dylan being supported, but I'm going to go for the unsupported, <laughs> which you did and which very did. successfully. Yep. And we should say that Ryan thrower, the producer of this podcast was out there taking yep. pictures of it yep. too. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, she would just really help me like, you know, be just methodical about training and, you know, it ultra running is like time on feet, but you know, it's also strength training. Like we need to build the muscle to support, um, you running a hundred miles, whether it's a mountain or a flat race, you know? So yeah, just yeah. overall, she's been great. That's so cool. Shout out to Anna Mae Flynn. I need to have her on the <laughs> podcast too. I didn't realize that she yeah, was she's running JFK this weekend. Oh, good. Awesome. I was mm-hmm. wondering, uh, yeah, cause, uh, she hasn't been racing much recently, but that's awesome. I'll have to send her a DM and good luck. Awesome. Awesome. What a fun conversation. So we need to, uh, sort of, sort of move towards, uh, Havelina now, because obviously this is the most recent news and one of the biggest results of your career to this point. And as you said, uh, an opportunity to punch your ticket to the Western States 100 next June. Was that the goal? Was that the express purpose of targeting Havelina this year to qualify for Western States? Yeah, it definitely was. And just for context about Western. So two years ago, I got a sponsor slot for Western States via Sunto. And last year I was going to run it, but I pulled out because I had a partially torn gracilis tear and I wasn't sure if it was like a hundred percent healed or not. So I was so bummed to miss it last year. And so Havelina was really like, you know, I want to be able to go back to Western. And now since I didn't race, I have to earn my way back in. So, um, yeah, golden ticket was definitely the main objective. 
That's so awesome. So let's talk a little bit about the training going into it. Maybe give uh, Anna May a little shout out here too. <laughs> I, I don't know if you're on Strava. I haven't looked at your profile if you are, but I'd love to hear sort of what kind of training contributed to this awesome result for you. What were the specific things that you were doing that you think translated so well in the desert? Um, something I've learned from quote unquote, like flatter ultra marathons, flatter hundreds is really strength training. And this is a fallacy that I had in my head two years ago. I'm like, why would you do strength training? Like we run all the time. Um, so I did a lot of strength training and not just, you know, your classic squats and, and jump squats, but also like really heavy, like Olympic lifting yeah. to really develop that explosive, like muscle development. So I think that was a huge turning point for me in like my ability to maintain a pace, um, like a sub eight pace for a hundred miles, you know? So that was a integral part. I also, the past, this past year, I've been kind of struggling with some injuries between plantar fasciitis and some other niggles. So my, my volume was actually probably a bit lower than I would want. Um, but I, I honestly believe that, you know, in hundred mile racing, like strength is like a huge differentiation point. And if you can be stronger than your next competitor, then I think that that really makes a big difference. If your competitor has maybe more mileage than you, you know, I think there's like a trade-off there that kind of makes it an equal grounding. So my, 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 my miles were kind of in like the high nineties, low one hundreds for, for a handful of weeks. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, that's pretty much like how I structure my training, just focusing on time on feet around hundred miles and just tons of tons of strength. Oh, and then the other thing too, is, you know, I live at, I live at elevation at 6,500 feet in Utah. So ultimately like there was no ability to do heat training for yeah. Halina. Yeah. I heard it was warm too. It was very warm. Yeah. Um, um, Marin, uh, um, Corinne on your Corinne. recent, yeah. um, podcast, she mentioned like it was in the low nineties and it, it definitely was hot, but if I learned anything from bad water, <laughs> it's that heat training makes a big difference. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Well, I just I did spent... the grand raid on reunion Island without any oh, heat yeah, training. I, and I was like, what? I got, I've been doing this for 12 years and I went to the hottest race in the world without any heat training. Like I'm such an idiot. Yeah. So you're learning this. I'm yeah, we're, still all, learning we're all this. learning. We're all learning. <laughs> yeah. Remember, dude, yeah, I'm, I'm, learn. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm jealous of you at 27 years old to already be, or to understand the value of doing strength training because it wasn't until I was, had a broken ankle at 33 years old that I really got connected with an awesome strength coach and have really emphasized that in my training. In fact, I was at the gym last night doing deadlifts. And so nice. my uh, hamstrings and ass are, are quite sore as we uh, <laughs> record this conversation right now. But yeah, for being uh, the sort of young age that you are now with such a bright future ahead of you, like it's, I mean, I couldn't stress enough how much that will likely serve you well, so long as you continue to prioritize that strength training throughout your career. And it's interesting, the specific application for the, for the flatter races, uh, and obviously, yeah, for mountain races as well, it's also fantastically valuable. So the race itself I know was also pretty dramatic. I mean, there was, uh, I can't remember the guy's name who was out front early, but it seemed like, 
Well, but wasn't there another guy ahead of you oh, guys? Yeah, his name is. He's the guy Dave, who just won uh, Run Rabbit. Run Rabbit. Yeah, Dave He's Stevens from or Canada. something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So talk about how the the race played out because I know after Dave kind of faded or dropped out, you and Arlen had a bit of a, a battle for first and second position. So talk us through how that played out. Yeah, actually, right from the get go, Arlen and I really like befriended each other, and you know when. I can't, is it Dave? Is that his name? Anyways, when Dave kind of like surged in front of us, we both, I mean, we ran, we both ran the first lap like next to each other. And the whole time we were just talking about like race strategy for hundred milers, how we thought he was going to die <laughs> and blow up. And we just talked so much about like strategy for hundred mile racing. And I, to be, to be frank, I didn't know, I didn't know Arlen at all. I didn't know his background you know, he's kind of like that dark horse that a lot of people are now learning about who this runner is. And he's so accomplished. And, but the, the language that he was using when we were talking indicated that he had so much experience. I'm like, who is this guy? Mm. Um, but we had such a great time. The first two laps, we pretty much were back and forth that second lap, but it was so fun. Like we, we just said like, Hey, how's it going? Like, how's, how's the day going? How's the heat? And so it felt like very supportive, like especially the the first two laps. And I, I felt like for Havelina, um, and Arlen would agree to this too, because he was also focused on pacing. But I, I realized that, you know, who's going to win this race are, are those that pace extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, I love you, Tim Tolfson. You're amazing. But last year was a great example of how not to pace. <laughs> he would be he would be the first to admit it. I mean, he's posted <laughs> something to that effect too. So shout out to Tim Tolfson. Yeah, shout we, out to Tim. We, we all love Tim. Thank you for helping us learn. <laughs> exactly right. This is a crowdsourced uh, knowledge uh, development process that we're all sort of experiencing together. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it was just a really fun day. The whole day I approached Havelina of just, I'm here, I'm queer, I'm having fun. I'm here with my boyfriend I'm here with my team. I'm going to dance like that mentality going into Havelina made me feel like I was celebrating and having fun all five laps. And it, it like, it really served me well. And I think it ultimately, um, led to like how I was able to finish in second place, you know? Yeah. Well, it seemed, you know, just as a passive observer, but that this celebration and this sort of party attitude that you guys had is, is very much reflected in your Instagram posts from the entire <laughs> weekend. It seems like your boyfriend kind of stole the show and it was like an ultimate, celebration of your awesome accomplishment, but also of the sport in general. And I, I need to get down to Havelina. I've heard that's just like the funnest weekend ever when it comes to ultra running, but also ultra partying. So, so yeah, you should point, definitely come down or even like commentate. Like yeah, maybe, maybe we'll year. have to do that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how good of a commentator I'd be with five beers in my system, but well, <laughs> I guess, well, there's only one way to find out. So back to the race itself. So like, at what point did uh, Arlen gain a little separation from you? And how did that last part of the race play out? Um, I always, I, I, yeah, I would say after the third lap, he, because every time we would come to the finish line, which the finish line is um, essentially an out and back for about a quarter of a mile where you can really 
see where everyone's at within the race within a couple minutes. And so I would see Arlen every single time at the finish line where we would go over the mat and then go back out again. So I knew he was like right there with me and I was just kind of doing my thing, like holding on. But it was really, I would say, at the end of lap three where he definitely put a, uh, more time and position in front of me and like really maintain that for the next two laps. Um, lap four, I actually brought in my pacer from what I had planned lap five anime to lap four, because I really struggled on lap three. That uh. was like the heat of the day. Um, I was starting to feel like a bit lethargic. So I brought anime in to pace me on lap four to kind of bring my spirits back up again. And I think that was a, a really good strategic move because it actually put a lot more distance between me and Cole, actually. Uh, Cole got third place. Yeah. Wow. Brilliant. So what was it like to, to secure the golden ticket and, and fulfill that major goal in your career? And now after having this really strong performance at a hot race in the desert of Arizona, how are you looking ahead towards Western States? Um, it felt so good. It felt very validating of like what I'm trying to do and, you know, the amount of work I'm putting in to my athletic career. But, you know, going back to our previous conversation at the beginning of the podcast where, you know, part of my being is like, I feel like I don't, I need to validate myself because I don't feel like I'm seen or so I feel like throughout my ultra running career, I, I don't feel validated. I don't feel like I'm an elite athlete, even though I'm a professionally contracted athlete with ultra, I, I still don't feel like I'm there, you know, mm -hmm. um, I don't feel that validation. And so really punching that golden ticket and standing there and seeing the cameras and people just really celebrating that accomplishment, like with such good validation that, you know, I am doing what I should be doing. I'm doing what I, what I've been planning and aspiring to over the years, you know, building up to this moment. And so it's just, uh, it's just so fun to see like all that come together, you know? Yeah. The video you guys at the finish line, having your kind of group hug, yeah, just sort of celebrating what was, you know, everybody I'm sure knew was, yeah, not only a great performance, but also a great opportunity ahead of you. And I'm sure the whole team's probably going to assemble in Palisades Tahoe next yep, June yep. for, uh, for another celebration of your career yeah. and you had your yeah. awesome, uh, sort of rainbow flag, sort of, uh, <laughs> proudly, proudly, you know, announcing, yeah, just being a, a great representative. And even though you say like you, it's a validation and a way to feel seen, you're also at the same time helping others be seen with this performance. And I hope that's a, a mantle that you carry proudly throughout your career. And you're still so freaking young, dude, you've got, you know, the world ahead of you and this is just the beginning. So how are you feeling now? Like recovery wise, a couple of weeks removed from, from Havelina, I'm sure your season's likely over. Um, but I, I want to sort of get a glimpse into your psychology about how you're feeling about Western States now with whatever it is, seven or eight months until the big day. I feel, I feel confident. I feel like I I've done this so many times, not necessarily Western States, but through the cycle of 
you know, hundred miler. Okay. Let's build up and go through this process of building and just developing strength. I just feel so confident because I, I have the context now. I have the experience. I know what the playbook is mm. and I just know what I need to do. Um, and I feel like I have the people in my corner to help me, which is always a good feeling to have, like to feel like you're supported, to feel like people are rooting you on. Like I feel that energy. Um, but yeah, going into this winter, I'm a big Nordic skier. I really found this sport really last winter and when I was living in Tahoe and I was a rager <laughs> on the cross country ski course. I would skate ski <laughs> every day, yeah. two hours. I would just rage and rage. And so it's, I learned how much that accelerates my, my training and accelerates my aerobic fitness throughout winter time. So my plan is to just have fun this winter, mm. be on the skis, run when I can. And like come springtime, like lace up and really like use that fitness and like build the muscle I need for Western States. Smart, man. Again, wise beyond your years. <laughs> so, I mean, I noticed that you're signed up for the <clears throat> Black Canyon 100K. Of course, that's also a golden ticket race. I don't know if you were signed up for that prior to Havelina. Now that you've punched your golden ticket, does that make you reevaluate whether you're going to run Black Canyon or how are you thinking about your race season build up towards Western States? Yeah, I, Black Canyon's never really been on like my, I'm going to do rest, um, Black Canyon. It's like on my radar. It was really like offered to me um, by um, the Ira Vipa team to like participate. And so I'm like, yeah, sure. I can sign up. And so I, I want to go because it's such, again, like a great celebration of all the amazing people in our sport in one race. But I don't know if I'm going to focus on that or focus on like another springtime sport. Um, I, I sense that you also feel the way I feel where there's so many races that I want to do States died that I haven't done yet, but also this pole in the ultra or the UTMB circuit is also this nebulous cloud that I want to figure out how that plays out. And like, if that's something I want to dabble in next year. So I'm still I'm, I'm being open to everything right now. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no need to make that decision, but yeah, I think like for a lot of athletes like yourself who are coming into your own and getting all this great experience and starting to have these awesome performances at sort of these, these national level races that eventually, yeah, the best way to continue learning is to continue having new experiences. And, you know, oftentimes racing in Europe or other places internationally is a great way to continue to keep things novel, to resist inertia mm -hmm. and to yeah, keep pushing yourself forward and uh, yeah, against different athletes and different types of environments. So I'm sure we'll all uh, be excited to see what you choose to do prior to Western States. But, you know, thinking about, Western States specifically, I mean, this has probably been kind of a dream of yours since you got into the sport to finally get your opportunity. And of course, that's probably also concentrated by the fact that you had a spot a couple of years ago and had to pull out due to injury. What are your goals as you look ahead towards Western States? Have you ever spent time on the course? And how are you feeling about this, this huge, huge opportunity that lies ahead of you? Yeah, so when I lived in Tahoe last year, I got to run 
a lot of the course naturally. And then I also went to the training camp last summer. Okay. Um, so I got to, I mean, I've ran pretty much every mile of the course now, which is, um, I'm very lucky to have again, that experience and have that, that context now, but yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. And I'm like, what is it that I want to focus on? What is it that I want to do? It's, it's funny. Cause I feel like I've had so much tunnel vision of just get to Western States and like be a hundred percent, like ready to just show the world, like how Ryan can like run. And again, like prove to people that, you know, Ryan is like this gay queer man, but also like can perform well. And I want to, I want to share that message and, you know, make ultra running more inclusive and continue to be on like, you know, podiums at, at these other stages internationally to, you know, again, drive that message because I mean, I feel like a lot of my belonging and purpose and, and, you know, how I approach life now is rooted in my experiences as the gay queer closeted boy that really helped like trail running helped me blossom, you know? And I think there's a lot of people that also want to be outdoors on trails and trail running, but perhaps don't feel safe or perhaps don't feel like they're seen in our sport. So I'm, I'm hoping that like, as I continue to grow and blossom and perform well, that that just naturally brings more diversity into our sport. Like that's ultimately what I want to do. So whether that's at the stage of Western States or UTMB or other non-circuit races, that's, that's my plan. And what a great mission that is and what a great contribution that would be yeah. to, to our awesome sport. So let's talk a little bit more about the future. I know you have some thoughts about kind of the future of the sport. And, you know, I also want to sort of talk about longer term future for you on a personal level. But I guess before we get to that, I, are there anything, is there anything that comes to mind that our sport could do better as it relates to being more inclusive to help more people like yourself to feel seen and feel comfortable in our community? Um, I'd say number one is to recognize like the current situation and how it is a need and it needs to be addressed. I think in validating the, how our sport is um, perhaps, you know, we're all inclusive, like we're great. Like that invalidates the realities of so many different people. Mm-hmm. Um, that this is an experience I had at a, another podcast earlier this year where I had shared that, you know, at Western States training camp, I had painted nails and someone that I had passed during one of the training runs called out my nails being and said, you know, what oh, that guy that with nails is passing me, meaning that because I'm have painted nails. I am more feminine and feminine features or feminine energy is like, should be less superior and not as good as that male person, for example. Mm -hmm. So like that type of energy still exists in our sport. And I shared this on the podcast and the, yes, not to to call that person, but something that they were caught off guard is, is that they said that, Oh, our sport is so inclusive. Like, like, like we don't see that essentially, but like immediately that invalidates like my experience. Uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? See, but so, this is, this is why it's so important to sort of have people like you in yeah. our community because I'm sure his, his intentions were good. Right. But yeah, it oh, does, totally. it, it does invalidate. 
the experience of, of people like yourself in that situation. Yeah. And like you, like you are a great example of someone who's inclusive and has interviewed amazing people, women included. Um, and like, yeah, you're inclusive, you support all people, but at the same time, like that's not the reality for everybody. So I think for people, well, and to, I also have a lot of, you know, blind <laughs> spots and yeah. my own sort of built in bias and ignorance probably on a lot of things. And that's why it's great to chat with people like you and, and just have these conversations and open. We're, we're always learning, right? This is the theme exactly. of our conversation. Yeah, he's coming back. Yeah, I love how <laughs> these themes come back, right? Um, but to your point, it really is I, I, the people that are not wanting to learn, are not curious about other people or want to learn about other people are the ones that stay in their box and don't and, and, and then stay with their biases, even though that they think that they don't have them. And I think the more that people can share these stories in our sport, um, you know, run with someone that's different from you, um, have more of this like diverse marketing or di diverse stories in marketing, mm -hmm. because I think brands have an accountability here as well. Mm -hmm. um, the more that happens, the more diversity comes in the sport. You know, this is something that I tell my sponsors a lot where I'm trying to consult them and help them see the value where, you know, there's a huge population of people that want to buy our product. But if the messaging that you continue to share is the white man conquering the mountain, then you're never going to capture that market. You're never yeah. going to capture those customers. And at the same time, not going to move the needle on diversity in our sport, which is inherently a good thing for you, for business, and also for inclusion. So yeah. it's just like trying to like help people understand that, you know, um, it's like what I'm trying to do. <laughs> That's so awesome, man. Well, yeah, kudos to you. And if I can help in any way with that mission, please do let me know. Cause I would love Thanks. to, I would love to sort of help be an advocate for that as, as somebody who is like, <laughs> you know, your quintessential white male out in the mountains, uh, <laughs> who, you know, it feels like I'm a, I'm an open-minded person, but yeah, also need to sort of be woken up uh, often. So appreciate that. So like, uh, as we talk about the future, you know, obviously we've talked about Western States and stuff, but you're 27, you've got a great resume so far. You've got, I'm sure a bunch of goals on the horizon, how do you see your, your career playing out sort of in the medium to long-term? Like what, what are the things that really inspire you? Yeah. I mean, definitely the social impact. Um, I think that's a huge area that can be improved obviously from what I said, but um, you know, I really started doing hundred milers by doing the, the fun, like off the grid mom, pa races that allowed us to see, or really allowed me to see like all the cool places on our planet. Um, like the Susitna 100, like who goes up to Alaska and runs a hundred mile race in the middle of winter and pulling a sled behind them? Like that's crazy, but I'm, that was such a cool experience. So my, what I want to do is I really want to check some of the boxes of, you know, doing these big races that, you know, validate my performance and, you know, Ryan as an athlete, you know, I want to, I want to go to UTMB. I want to do well Western States. I want to do some of these circuit races to, you know, validate myself as an athlete who can perform well. But ultimately what I really want to do <laughs> is I want to go back to these races that I started doing hundred milers with. I want to go back to Susitna. I want to go back to Badwater. I want to do some of these fun 
um, races that perhaps don't attract all these elite athletes, because I just want to, I just want to continue to experience our world and like all these cool places, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's like really what I want to do. And I want to do more projects. You know, you, you did the Wonderland FKT. That was such a cool experience for me. Yeah. Um, best trail in the world, huh? Yeah. Best coolest trail in the world if no one has been on the wonderland trail like you should go right Dylan? seriously yeah i mean only hard rock and utmb compare in my opinion in terms of just mm-hmm. the sheer majesty of the route yeah yeah so i mean yeah to answer your question more briefly i just want to do more projects and go to more cool places mm-hmm. um and just i want to do the john muir trail i want to do the the tahoe rim um, trail FKT. I, I want to do more projects that really can be really cool experiences for me and for other people that want to follow along, you know? Rad, man. Well, I can't wait to follow along myself and maybe just one last question to bring everything full circle. Cause I'm still just kind of like struck by what we talked about earlier about your type A personality coming from a place of probably insecurity about who you were as a kid. Mm-hmm. And it's probably a big reason why you've been so successful. And so I wonder if maybe we want to just close with you meditating on or pondering aloud about maybe the, the, even though it's been a roller coaster ride with probably a lot of adversity, uh, sort of the, the value of that early life experience where you weren't feeling super comfortable about yourself and the trajectory that it launched you on and the success that you've probably had as a result of that feeling. Anything you want to yeah. add there to close us out? <laughs> um, it's something that my boyfriend Wynn and I process all the time. <laughs> I'm, 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 it's really hard for me to process my feelings. I'm always like, turn it off. Don't need to address problems. There's no oh. problem here, <laughs> you know? Um, and Wynn is really the opposite. He really like wants to process things together and he has really allowed me to have a person to process trauma and to understand why do I feel that way? And why do I think that way? And why do I behave that way? You know, and he's helped me process a lot of this because he has, he, his story is almost the same as mine. You know, he came from Nebraska and, you know, came from um, also a very, um, you know, kind of closed knit, narrow minded, um, environment. And, you know, now he is, you know, my, my boyfriend, when he's a professional drag queen, like that's his job. It's like crazy, like how far he's come to like really embracing who he is. And I've learned so much from him. And so when I think about, you know, where I've gone, I'm just, I'm grateful that running has allowed me to like process my trauma. (laughs) It really has been the bridge for like really understanding my life. And I think that that's not a unique story for me. I think a lot of people would resonate with that, how running has been that avenue for them to come back to, to like their safe space. You know what I mean? But also like how the tough parts of our life end up contributing to our success too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, my, my story is totally different, but yeah, I mean, like as I, I genuinely feel better now than I ever have in my life, more mission focused, more feeling like I'm living in line with my values than I ever have in my entire life. And I can directly tie it to like the darkest moment of my entire life, you know? Yeah. And, and so, you know, I'm just sort of recognizing 
potentially the commonality to your story, you know, and your adolescence and probably that contributing to you being who you are now and the success that you've had. And I think it's the case for, for everybody. And I think actually probably a theme that you notice, I may be speaking out of turn, but you know, within the gay community, right? Like there's a lot of high achieving people, right? Yeah. And yeah, and it's, Not probably, a coincidence. It's, right, yeah it's, <laughs> it's probably because they all want to be seen and validate themselves, you know? And so anyway, yeah, I think, uh, yeah. you know, it's life. There's, there's lightness and there's darkness and there's ups and there's downs and yeah, it's the downs. I think it would be, I think it would be selfish of me to say that I wish I could not have those experiences like growing up mm-hmm. because they really have created of like who I am today. You know, I, w- would I have, would I be living in the mountains in Utah in the house I bought this year and have this athlete contract and have this amazing people in my life if I didn't have those experiences, you know, probably not. And so, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm grateful that, um, I've had those experiences. Um, I also recognize how much privilege I have as well, you know, being like a white gay man, like it's, it's funny. Um, I, sorry to go on this tangent, but I listened to this other, um, speaker, um, that spoke at my company the other day and he shared how among the LGBTQ community, how we view, view life is based on the other privileges that we have. And that like really stuck with me because I'm like, wait, you're right. Like I am so privileged. Like, even though I have a, I'm a gay man, like I'm so privileged that, you know, I am in a supportive community that supports my education, that supports me pursuing a career that supports me doing all these things that supports me in my athletic career. Like think about the, the, the intersectionality of like privilege that like other people have, whether you're like black or whether you're a woman or whether you're, you know, there's so many different layers. Right. And so I think while I celebrate my success, like I hope other people can find like those, those avenues and those roads that also allow them to view success in their own unique way, you know? Yeah. Well said, man. Well, Ryan, it's so great to get to know you, man. I've, I've had such a great time chatting with you over the past hour. And, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and, and being so open. And yeah, like I said, I've, I've always fancied myself as an open-minded person, but yeah, I appreciate you sort of continuing to, to open my eyes to, to my blind spots. And, you know, I'm now, now a big fan of yours and can't wait to root for you in the future. Thank you, Dylan. Thanks for having me. Um, can't wait to talk again soon. Okay, that's it for another episode. Thanks so much to Ryan. Again, I am really appreciative that he would open up so much about his life, especially with a complete stranger like me. He is a great guy. I am really excited to see what he does in his career, including at Western States next summer. If you enjoyed this episode and don't already, make sure you go follow Ryan on Instagram. Send him a DM if you appreciated his message and openness here today on the program. As always, I'd be very appreciative if you could also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or share this podcast or some of your other favorites with your friends on social media or with your training partners when you're out on the trails today, tomorrow, over the weekend, anytime. Those little things really do help us out and make us feel 
really good. If you want to get to know us a little bit better, you can join our training community for only $10 a month. You can subscribe to our training app where you can take advantage of all our great training content and we can help to guide you to success in your trail journey. Or if you just want to support what we're doing on the content side for as little as $2 a month, you can support us over on Patreon as well. There are links to both those platforms in the show notes. So please consider it if you can. And thanks to everybody who has joined our community so far. We really do appreciate it. That's it for now. Thank you guys so much for listening. Talk to you soon. Love you. Bye.